Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Racewire on Over the Top Cycling in Boulder, Colorado. Very special guest today with us. Shuzana Pillinger. Did I say your name right this time? That's not bad. Okay, and she is really going to project because she's uh, Google Hangouting in from London, England. And uh, it's wonderful to have you with us, Shuzana. Hi, George. So what was it that really got you into ultra cycling? I want to talk with you about last year's Ram as well as this one, but but what was it that really piqued your interest in the sport? Um, I didn't go about this in the way that I guess most people do. I, I come from a triathlon background, um, and I'd been training for, for Ironman distance triathlons, and in doing that, I'd, I got more involved in, in sort of doing longer sportives as training for the, for the Ironman. Um, and... I don't know, the, the bike rides I was doing were just getting longer and longer, and um, I I did a, a ride we have here in the UK, which is the, the end-to-end, uh, right across Britain. Um, it's about uh, 850 miles from top to bottom of the country, from Scotland down to the bottom of England. And um, I discovered that I was actually quite good at that, the, the, the longer rides with multi-stages. And um, on the back of that, I started doing some more rides sort of like that, and I entered a 24-hour time trial, which was a RAM qualifier. And not knowing exactly what RAM was at the time when, I, when I'd entered that race, um, I discovered that no British woman had done RAM, and then I started to find out more and more about, more about it. And, and it was like a carrot on a stick to me. And it just became a goal that I, you know, I wanted to be that first British woman to do it. Well, you're actually in a very elite group as it is because not a whole lot of women finish the race. That's true. I, I've become the, the 37th woman to finish it in 34 years. And that's pretty amazing. So as you were preparing, what did you do last year? Um to really get ready for the race, uh, you had to work out logistics, the crew. Uh, I can't imagine what it's like coming over here from Europe and doing this event. Yeah, it is pretty epic. I would say it's all of the background preparation and logistics, I would say, is about 20 times harder than doing the race itself. 
it's it takes up a phenomenal amount of time. It's extremely expensive. Um, you know, I've I've had to spend all of my spare time doing that and working to fund it. So last year, were you coming in with kind of a a one and done? This is a this is a one time event that I want to try, and as soon as I succeed, uh, I'm really not planning on coming back the next year. Um, that was my aim last year. Yes, um, I you know I didn't just decide to turn up on you know the start line of Ram. I did go about it in um, you know. A, controlled manner I did do a number of multi-stage races to build up to it um, to train myself and the crew um, I also won a couple of other races in the build-up so when I when I turned up on the start line of Ram I, I thought I'd done absolutely everything I possibly could have done to, to be prepared for it um, I'd I, I thought the, the logistics worked really well you know sorting out getting the, the crew there um, the cars, the bikes, all the spare parts, all the kits, all the nutrition. Um, I had I had support from a number of sponsors for, for bikes and nutrition and clothes. Um, so yeah, I thought I thought it, I was very prepared. Um, I would just have to turn up, and then the hard work would. You know, I I'd done most of the hard work. I just had to turn up and and put my head down and cycle. Now, what was it like for you to be in the States? We drive on different sides of the road. Was that, uh, as you got more sleep-deprived, was that something that became difficult? Uh, only once uh, this year. I didn't have any problems with it last year. Um, uh, this year I found myself on the wrong side of the road once near Gettysburg, um, and the crew said, um, Shu, you're on the wrong side of the road, could you go back on the correct side of the road please and uh, I, I was uh, dreaming I wasn't really awake and um, I said something like um, uh, I'm just over here looking at the fence which they thought was quite amusing and made me go back on the right side of the road well that is pretty amusing actually <laughs> except but that I it's dangerous it. you know, I obviously am close to Europe and I've done a, you know, a lot of races and training in Europe so it's not completely alien being on that side of the road but um Sometimes your mind plays tricks on you. So, for instance, I was in, um, I was cycling in um, Spain not long ago, and I found myself um, cycling on the British side of the road in Spain. And I realised only after a couple of hundred metres that I was on the wrong side of the road when a car came around the corner. Oh my gosh! Now, last year, you were having actually a very good race. Tell us what happened and why you had to pull out. Yeah, so it was all going very well actually. It felt um, pretty strong, um, and I just um, gone through uh, Effingham Time Station, and we'd been really buoyed by the fact that we'd seen some people we knew, and we had all the crew there, and we had like this kind of little mini celebration. I think the atmosphere was really buzzing, and then people got back in the cars, and I got back on the bike, and we set off, and I think everything sort of calmed down a bit and I think we all went a bit quiet and um, it was very very hot long straight road and I just dozed off um, and unfortunately I sort of woke to find myself leaving the road and I, I tried to right the situation but it was um, it was a brand new road surface and they hadn't quite finished the edge of it and I basically flipped my bike trying to come back onto the road um, and unfortunately I broke my collarbone 
quite badly. Now, how soon after that accident and uh, you'd gotten back home, did you decide, yeah, I'm going to go back and do this again? Well, I, I got interviewed on television back in the UK um, within a few days of being back, and they asked me that very question. It's like, would you do it again? Um, what I meant to say was um, maybe, but actually what I ended up saying was of course, which um, <laughs> all my friends were immediately, oh no, um, just going to go back and do it. But I, I still had my arm in a sling at that point, and it was only after about seven weeks that um, a second surgeon decided that I should have it plated. Um, so then I had to go for surgery, um, and then an, another two weeks till the surgery, then another six weeks of recovery. Um, with my arm and sling still. So it wasn't until about um, November that I was actually back cycling. Now, I can't imagine you just staying uh, inactive that entire time. What did you do to, to keep yourself fit while you were rehabbing from the, the surgery? Oh, I'm going to get in trouble saying this. Um, I, actually did a, I actually did an Ironman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> except I kind of it was a homemade Ironman. I... Um, <laughs> I, I walked the swim part uh, with my arm and sling, and then I sat on the uh, the bike in the gym with my arm and a sling and did 180k on the bike, 112 miles. Um, and then I joined a friend of mine in London, and we did a, an overnight walking marathon. That's fantastic. So, that's one thing I so, as you got back on the bike, was that, I mean, that's so frustrating to have been in fantastic shape and then have to build up to that again. How did you handle that mentally? Um, it wasn't too bad, actually. I hadn't lost as much um, fitness as I thought I would have done. Um, it was more frustrating because I'd lost some of the nicest weather in this country to train in. Uh -huh. So I'd been in the gym for a while and then... By the time I got back on the, back out on the bike, it was coming into winter, um, and you know I'm used to training all the way through the winter here in this country in in wind and rain and ice and snow. But it was a bit depressing that that was the only choice I had. So what is it? What what does it take to get you into the gym and sit on an indoor trainer? Obviously, a broken collarbone with your arm in a sling, but any weather conditions? Uh, only. Only broken bones and um, black ice. Otherwise, I'm outside. I cannot stand sitting on a turbo trainer. I don't know how people do indoor training. I just, I'd rather eat my arm. <laughs> so, what type of training were you doing to build your your base back up? How many how many kilometers? And then, did you put in speed work and intervals uh, as the race drew nearer? Um, I had made a decision I wanted to do a bit more speed work, but uh, generally um, what I do is I, I actually live about 25 miles out of London, um, and I, I work in London, so I can eat my bike um, most days, um, including in the winter as well. So uh, in order to get into London, I have to get up and, and, and leave my house about 5.30 um, to get to work. Then have a full day. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Work broken up by um, lunchtime spent doing laps at Regent's Park in, in London, which was next to my office at the time. So there was some speed work, so we do uh, fast uh, laps. Um, and there's a lot of cyclists cycle around Regent's Park at lunchtime, so I'd latch onto the back of groups of, of guys going around quite fast as some, some speed training. And then I'd cycle home after work. Again, so my morning and my night, uh, my evening cycles were uh, both in the dark for most of November, December, January, February, and March. Um, I did a lot of dark training. Um, so yeah, um, I didn't really do many races. I tended to do, I, I stuck to Audax to, to get the distance up. Now, when did you get your crew back together? Did you have a number of people that were with you the year before? And I'm wondering, did you use anyone who was based in the state? Um, I actually, after, after last year, I, I had a lot of people requesting to be on my crew for, for this year. Um, I was inundated with uh, people sending me emails and saying they wanted to come in, um, out to America. Um, I was lucky enough to have five of my original crew. Um, they all would have liked to have done it, um, but a number of people couldn't take that time off again. Um, I had other commitments during the actual race dates. Um, so I had, uh, I had five, and I wanted to find uh, maybe another three or four. So in January, we, um, we had like a, a crew recruitment evening um, and we, we basically interviewed about, um, let's say, 20 people. Wow. wow. And we narrowed it down to particular people that we wanted on the crew. Um, and I think, we, I think we chose really well and we had, some, we had a very strong crew this year. Now, I've been out um, on the Ram course a lot. And say, say again? I've been out on the Ram course a lot. And I have not seen a ram with temperatures like this in the desert since back in the 90s when we started uh, the last weekend of July. How did you handle the heat? Uh, going into last year's race, I did um, quite a bit of work with um, an organization in the UK, um, the GlaxoSmithKline Human Performance Lab, and did some testing in a heat chamber um, to see how I dealt with the heat. And um, we found that I actually dealt with the heat quite well, um, quite good at regulating my own temperature. So when we did the race last year, we took out um, some equipment to basically monitor my temperature during the race. So I, I swallowed a core temperature thermometer. So it's basically a large pill that sat inside me for, for most of the race, and they could get a real-time update of my core temperature. Um, and last year, that was fine. Um, I... You know, even during the heat of the desert, I, I was okay with that heat. This year, it felt so much hotter. It felt, I mean, what, seven degrees centigrade higher, I think, than last year. 
um, and we had the same equipment, same monitoring, um, and I did get fairly hot. So I got to about 39.5 degrees centigrade um, body temperature, and we actually came off the road at one point so that they could really cool me down. So, yeah, it was tough this year, really tough. Also, how do you prepare for the altitude? Wolf Creek Pass is uh, almost 11,000 feet. Um, I couldn't really prepare for the altitude. Um, the Wolf Creek Pass is higher than any paved road in Europe. Short wow. of coming out to the States and, um, and training at altitude, um, I didn't have any way of training for that. But I knew, I knew from last year that I, I could get over Wolf Creek Pass. Um, I was quite slow. I walked up the last um, 300 meters vertical, but um, I didn't feel the effects of the, the, the height at all. Now, curious, what was it like for you when you went through Effingham? Um, you kind of hit a milestone that you weren't able to pass last year. Did that feel good, or did you even were you even aware of it? Uh, no, we were totally aware of it. We we were um, already planning what we were going to do in Effingham, and um, we had such a massive crowd came out to to see us, and um, yeah, the, the support was was brilliant. And um, when we actually left the time station. Um, we were we were extremely careful going down the road that we went down, um, and actually it was it was uh, in the dark this time. But we we couldn't find the spot where I actually fell off. I think um, there's been some building work done there, so it looked all a bit different. And with the ramp course, you get through this area, and then really the most difficult part of the course is the last 440 miles. As you got into that, did you ever have any doubts about making it to the finish? Uh, physically or within the cutoff time? Um, no, I had no worries about the, the cutoff. Um, I think it, I don't know how I feel about the women's cutoff being 21 hours longer than the men's. Um, part of me thinks it's it's it, it shouldn't be that way, um, and I think it was slightly unfair on some of the guys that I was cycling with because I was um, up to the Mississippi. I was ahead of the men's cut-off time um, and going through the last stages, I knew I had ex an extra 21 hours and um, I was able to slow down a bit even even though I was keeping with the guys who were, were borderline for the cut-off. Um, but uh, we slowed down a little bit towards the end. It was sort of a bit of um, a bit of a change of pace because because both Shana and Kathy had dropped out. Um, I didn't actually have a race, if you see what I mean. I couldn't catch Isabel and um, Joan, who were, who were far too far ahead of me, far too strong to catch. Um, but I had nobody pursuing me either, so I just knew that I just had to hang on and actually cross the line without breaking any bones in order to, to complete and to come third. And that actually was my next question, was how long was this a race for you? Because I know you went into it um, fully wanting to race, did you ever have any of that uh, competitive feeling against the men that were around you? Um, not necessarily around the men, no. Um, but I certainly did um, around the ladies because, for instance, when when I passed Shana um, by the side of the road in Kansas, which was an extremely big shock to me, um, I didn't expect to be passing Shana Hogan, and um, but then I heard she she pulled out of the race, um, and. That was a little bit of, uh, you know, I was able to relax a little bit in my in my actual race tactics, um, and then she came back into the race, which 
was a very strange feeling for us and um, a big surprise. Um, I, I've never been in a race before where you can re-enter after a DNF, which was a bit of a shock. So then I had to speed up knowing that she was chasing me down. So as you neared the finish line, what were your feelings? Because it's not always a lot of happiness and joy as you near the finish line of Ram. In fact, a lot of time, it's kind of like, wow, I've got to come back here and do better than I did this year. Um, do you know what? I didn't really feel very much at all crossing the finish line. It was, it was, we'd known for, you know, several hours that we were going to get there. And um, I know the crew... The crew were, were very confident I was going to get there you know, days before the, the end, but I didn't let myself believe that until I actually got nearer Annapolis, um, thinking that you know any any one time I shut my eyes and the race could be over like it was last year. I didn't want to believe it, and so I got there. So actually, when I got there, I was still busy concentrating on I must get across the line without breaking any bones. That I didn't really feel very much apart from a huge sense of relief really, that it was all kind of over. And then it must have felt great to not just finish the race, um, but I'm wondering how the emotion of being the first British woman to complete Race Across America was for you. Well, well, that's the big thing, and that's that's the thing that I really wanted to do. Um, I, um, I'm, I'm very happy that I, I finished where I did. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't have the the speed to, to rival Isabel and Joan, and I, I knew that. Um, so to finish for me was was exactly what it was about. And what are you looking at doing in the future? Are you going to go back to triathlon or stick with cycling? Um, I don't really know yet. Um, there are a few things uh, I want to do. I'm I'm doing Paris Brest Paris in in August. And I've got an Ironman in October, but I don't know yet. I might, I might do some more multi Ironmans, maybe sort of double or triple or longer. There's um, something in Europe called uh, the Arch to Arc, where you run from Marble Arch in London to Dover, you swim the Channel, and then you cycle to Paris. So that's that's something on my. On my horizons, but other than that, I might I might just slow down and do a bit of touring. Nice. Well, my wife's going to do Paris Brest Paris this year, and she's a Ram finisher, and uh, that's exciting that you're going to be there. Excellent. I, I look forward to meeting her. Shusana Pillinger, thanks very much for joining us. This is Racewire on Over the Top Radio in Boulder, Colorado. 